Last Sunday I wasn't here because I was involved in a, a big kind of joint churches thing on the Cathedral Green, just about 500 metres away from here. We had an amazing time. Uh, I think I probably saw the biggest response to the message of Jesus that I've ever seen in an outdoor event. I mean, just to look out and see it. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't speak for very long. I had my guillotine there. Some of you have seen my, some of my crazy props. And uh, we, we did that. And I was, I was preaching with the bishop. I know, I know. I was like his warm-up act, actually. I was on first, and then he came on afterwards. Um, he wasn't funny as me, though, I didn't think. He was very good. He's a very, very good speaker. Um, but I did this thing with, the, with my guillotine. And for those of you who are not used to what I do, um, I did a story of three executions. I had a cross, a gallows, and a guillotine. And three men who, who each died at 33 years of age. And I talked about their lives. And obviously, Christ was one of them. And uh, at the end, as I made a response, there was just so many people responded. And I turned around. And there were about five people that were in the queue to go into the cathedral tour that responded. They weren't even in the event. So it was pretty amazing. It was a great moment. And um, the story that I want to talk to you about today, um, I mean, it's a little bit more powerful than that. But there are uh, uh, elements of uh, stuff that I was involved in last week and also what I'm involved in in Calais, actually, which um, has quite a resonance with the story that I want to tell you about today. And you'll pick it up as we go. But just to say as well, as Steve has already mentioned, we are um, officially launching the next Alpha course today. We had a brilliant Alpha course Um, over the uh, winter, well, sort of early spring. And um, that banner over there, if you're here for the first time today or you're not really someone who you would consider, uh, you wouldn't consider yourself to be part of the church here, Uh, maybe you're not quite sure about the whole Jesus thing and Christianity, that Alpha is a fantastic opportunity just to go on a journey with us and uh, discover uh, uh, some of the key uh, uh, issues around Jesus, around his life, um, the things that he talked about, and uh, all the information you'll get from the, uh, uh, just over by the banner. There are wander over there a little bit um, after the meeting as well, if you want to chat to me. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about this book uh, throughout the Alpha course, um, because contained in this book, this is the story of God. This is the story of God's love for his people. It's the story, of course, of Jesus, the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. Four books in that uh, uh, second half, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, as they are called. Three, uh, uh, four different accounts of the same events, but each written to a different audience and with a slightly different editorial style. And uh, I think that's a, a very important thing um, to mention because we are often coming at this Jesus story from different perspectives. Some of us have come from a history of church involvement. Um, Some of us haven't. Some of us are quite pro. Some of us are quite anti. And I think when you look at the four Gospels and you look at the stories and the miracles and the teachings of Jesus and the events around his life, his death, and his resurrection— you get a slightly different angle, although the events reported are the same. And so this morning, I want to take a few moments just to look at one of the miracles of Jesus. And it's the only miracle that appears in all four of the gospel accounts. Um, Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, which gets a bit of a mention as well, 
although some parts of the religious establishment wish it didn't. Uh, But that obviously is there as well in all four Gospels. But the story that I want to tell you today is recorded in all of them. Uh, So as I looked out um, on the crowd last week, there was about a thousand people there, something like that, all in the Cathedral Green, some of them in the marquee, some of them in front of where I was speaking, but most of them really were in earshot, but actually weren't part of the event. I found myself thinking about the story that I want to tell you today. Now, I've stood before some big crowds, I have to say that, particularly in outdoor events. And next Sunday, I'm actually on the main stage at Big Church Day Out, uh, speaking to 20,000 people, so that's quite a big one, and talking about our work in Calais. So it wasn't just about the crowds, but it was something about the connection with the message of Jesus that was so important. So let's read the story. should appear on the screens behind When Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this only to stretch Peter's faith. Not very fair. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 pieces of silver wouldn't buy enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of his disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter said, there's a little boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was a nice carpet of green grass in this place. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread, having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. They went to work and they filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. The people realized that God was at work among them. And what Jesus, in what Jesus had just done. They said, this is the prophet for sure. God's prophet right here in Galilee. And some people say there's no such thing as a free lunch. So what's going on here? Well, there is a lot of stuff happening in this day, in this moment. What a thing to be a part of. What a thing to witness to follow this street teacher, this rabbi up a mountain because they were hanging on his every word. They wanted to be a part of everything that Jesus was about and the things that he was, uh, uh, um, the stories he was telling, the acts that he was involved in. People wanted to be around Jesus. There is so much going on here. Now, I can officially reveal today that the baker that was used to supply the bread for this particular miracle was Jehovah's. It's as good today as it's always been. You couldn't make it up, could you? Of course you could, I just did. So this is a dramatic and very public moment that Jesus initiates. It is a moment when heaven literally touches earth, literally. 
And the power of God is released in a very, very secular, non-religious environment. That's the first thing that I want to pull out from this story. So let's travel 2,000 years and 2,000 miles, give or take, and just try and step inside this miracle for a few moments. Because I think if we do that, we will be in a position where we have an opportunity for God to recalibrate our lives. Because we live in a world where we are surrounded by words, we are surrounded by opinions, and the danger is, is that the Christian offering can just be one of another option, one, one of many options in a sea of options in how to do life and how to live out faith, religion, spirituality, purpose, whatever. So let's get right inside this miracle for a few moments and see what it says to us. Sometimes for people looking at the church from the outside, people who haven't got a religious background, who aren't particularly the type of people who would describe themselves as Christian, um, some of you may be here today, I don't know. Sometimes those people can look at the church and it can look a little bit strange and a little bit odd. Some of the things that we get up to are not necessarily the things that are in the Bible. Many are, hopefully. But what happens when a group of people live together in a certain way for a certain period of time, culture gets set. And sometimes when a culture is set, it is quite difficult for people who have a different culture, a different way of doing life, who carve the world up slightly differently, to connect with it. I often say to people, you don't need to be weird to be a Christian, but it really helps. (laughs) I'm joking. Did you know that very few of Jesus' encounters took place in religious meetings. Very few. Most were in the open air or in very non-religious settings. Jesus engaged with people in a very powerful way. You can probably lose the joke slide. Oh, we have lost it. you got me instead. Actually, Jesus never expected anybody to adjust their culture in order to connect with what he was saying and what he was doing. He never expected people to do that. And one of the kind of buzz expressions that is put around church these days is this. It is very important that people are allowed to belong before they believe. I really believe that's true. It's very important, and I'm speaking for a moment to the church here, to Christians, and I know some of you aren't. It's very important that we don't put a metaphorical barrier in the way that means that people have got to adjust what they are and who they are in order to access the program and get in on the Jesus scene. With Jesus, the the opposite actually was true. Jesus adjusted his approach and his demeanor in order to be accessible to all kinds of different people and all kinds of different um, uh, scenarios, people from different backgrounds. He filled communities with love and power, but he paid very careful attention to culture and to context and to history 
when he spoke, and when he acted. So what is going on here? What is Jesus setting up? What, is, what are the cultural nuances that are in this story which would reveal the fact that Jesus is connecting with his people in a very specific way, which I believe he was? What was he doing to have maximum impact to that vast crowd at that moment in time? Well, it's actually a very dramatic and physical reenactment of another miracle way back in Jewish history. Let me explain what I mean by that. Fifteen years earlier, this migrating community of God's people were on the move towards the promised land. Some of you who aren't even brought up in church will know the stories of the parting of the Red Sea and how God got this nation out of slavery. And then they went on a journey. And God said, you're going to end up in a place which you are going to call home. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey, which is great, I guess, unless you're type 2 diabetic and lactose intolerant. (laughs) But it was a place that was going to be home, a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds great. But because of their disobedience, because they didn't actually do the things that God told them to do, they ended up going round in circles for a long time. And while they were in that predicament, they were hungry and they were disorientated and they were profoundly lost. And we see this amazing picture of God providing bread from heaven to that migrating people that he loved three times a day. There it just turned up. So fast forward 1,500 years. We're in a situation here where two of the Gospels, two of the four Gospels describe this location as a remote place. This is a Jewish crowd, okay? And these are people who are well-versed in their history, in their culture, in their customs. They know what has happened in the past. So Jesus takes this crowd into this remote place, and then what does he do? He takes bread, he breaks it, he looks to heaven, and then multiplies it without limit, and the connection is made. I believe the connection was made at that point. And these people are looking on, and they're saying, here is somebody who understands our history. He understands our Customs. He understands what we have inherited. He knows our book. Sure, there's something going on here that is dramatically powerful. But he knows who we are. He knows about us. I want to say to you, if you're here for the first time or you're not really someone who feels very connected to this message, I want to say that God not only loves you, which he does, but he knows you. He knows everything about you. That is the most amazing thing about God. How does a God who is everywhere become somewhere? How does he know everything but actually know me and, you know, and, and knows you? Well, that is the most, empower, uh, most powerful thing. You will never find, I'm spending a lot of my time working with Muslim people in the Calais jungle camp at the moment. But there is not a religion anywhere in the world that describes God in a way that is relational. In a way that God can know intimately the details about us. And not only know, but care and be interested in those things. And I think when Jesus broke the bread, 
and he offered it to heaven and he multiplied it, I think there was a profound connection that was made among those people because they had been brought up under a system that basically said you've got to go through these rules, regulations, you've got to live in this system, you've got to do it our way, not your way. Some of you have heard me talk about the story of the temple curtain being ripped in two. And the temple curtain was there as a depressing reminder that God could be believed in but never touched. And when Jesus died outside the temple, something was happening inside the temple. And this supernatural event where this curtain, this barrier, this depressing reminder, once and for all was separated. And God could be touched because God is not dead, God is alive. And no longer is it just for the elite religious class and royalty, but it is for everyone. Jesus took heaven and he put it in the faces of ordinary people. And he gave them a choice. You see, in order to receive the gift of God, we have to humble ourselves. That's not easy. We have to come to that place of saying, I need something that I cannot generate on my own. On my own. I need God to do something for me. We'll come back to that in a second. The next thing I want to pick out of this amazing event recorded in the four Gospels is that there is something going on here that is all about the heart. The compassion of Jesus is massive in this story. Massive. But not only is he showing compassion to the crowd, he is working something into the hearts of his followers as well. He's teaching them a lesson. Just imagine for a moment, this crowd follows Jesus up the side of a mountain, some kind of three peaks challenge. And the disciples sit down and they watch this crowd coming to Jesus. I don't know what you would think in that moment. I'd be a little bit freaked out. I'm, I'm quite into like risk assessments and outdoor events and stuff like that. I'd be thinking, bit of a problem here. You know, who signed off the risk assessment? You know, Tony's one of my trustees. He signs off my risk <laughs> assessments. No, he doesn't. Who's got the plan? Who has organized this event? Because there is a big crowd and they're coming our way. Jesus is not remotely stressed He's not freaked out by this moment. Instead, he turns to his disciples and said, where can we buy bread to feed these people? It's an amazing response to an impending organizational disaster without a plan. Where are we going to get bread to feed these people? There's a great deal more going on in this story than finding a way of feeding a ravenous rabble. There's an awful lot more going on. Why? Because 30 verses later, Jesus describes himself as the bread, the bread of life. So bread clearly is a lot more than flour and water as far as Jesus is concerned. So there is a picture, there is a story within the story here. Yes, of course it's about bread. We know that. Feeding of the 5,000. We grew up with it in Sunday school. It's about bread. Okay. Well, it's not just about bread. 
It's about fish as well. <laughs> there's, there's something else going on here. It's very little to do with the all-you-can-eat buffet lunch. Although it was a pretty impressive buffet lunch. No, because Jesus is digging deep into an age-old problem. The problem of the human craving for spiritual food. Jesus said man will not live by bread alone. There is a physical need that is being met here. But Jesus goes on to say, I'm the bread of life. And we'll pick on that in a second. We'll pick up that in a moment. We cannot simply live, folks, by filling the physical emptiness. We need something that is more profound than that. Something that is going to deal with the wound in the human heart that is deeper than the sea. Spiritual food. The bread of heaven or the bread of of life. And so Jesus is doing the physical thing. He's providing the miracle. He's providing the food. But there is something much greater that is going on behind the scenes. Jesus is challenging the crowd, of course. But he's also challenging his followers. And he's got some logistical challenges going on as well, I would suggest. Some of this stuff, when you read these stories, I mean, there's some comedy in it. There really is some comedy in this story. Get the people to sit down, Jesus says to his disciples. Get the people to sit down. Now, there may have been 10,000 people there. And then he says, well, the the writer of the gospel, the the one that I read out, said there was a carpet of grass, green grass, (laughs) in this place. Get the people to sit down. Now, I've spent my adult life in outdoor events. There is a couple of problems here that they are not addressing. Some of the events that I've been in, everything from a couple of hundred to several thousand, trust me, it's not that simple. Get the people to sit down because there's a carpet of green grass. The issue here is not space or grass. The issue here is the absence of a zoning system. (laughs) High visibility workwear and megaphones. None of that stuff appears to be there on the mountain that day. But you see, the amazing thing is this. And you see it time and time again with Jesus. There seems to be some kind of divine order that is around him. Sometimes we can, so, we can get so stressed about our plans and our programs. I know I can. But Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way, in God's time, will never lack God's resources. When we engage with God, there is a divine order. Now that doesn't mean we don't need to think about safety. Now we've got an evacuation procedure for this building. Nobody said it today. It doesn't mean we don't have a plan. What it means is that we've got to recognize that God is God and we are just people. And when Jesus did this miracle this day, there was an amazing plan that was being revealed. Jesus didn't follow the script. He didn't align himself to the religious system. 
He didn't have a a checklist of all the do's and don'ts every time he did or said something. He came to interfere with that system. He actually came to demolish that system. Now, one of the things I, I, I run a lot of alpha programs here, and I've done stuff, obviously, other places as well. And one of the questions that people often ask me is this. If Jesus exists, why doesn't he present himself to us so we can all believe? It's a good question, isn't it? Let's be honest. You know, it's all very well talking about, you know, evidence and, you know, we've got to have faith and, you know, it really is true, honestly, because, you know, I've experienced it and my friend here has experienced it. That's okay. But people say, well, why doesn't he just rock up? Why do we have to spend our lives defending it? Why can't he do that? Why can't he just show us who he is And then we can all believe because we can all understand it. Okay, with this chapter, John 6, that I'm looking at today, it actually answers that question in a very profound way. Let me explain what I mean by that. Thousands of people have witnessed a miracle. Thousands. But the crowd that were there, and uh, and actually even the disciples of Jesus who were there, have got one or two issues still as a result of that. Okay, this is what the crowd said. It should be on the screen. This is great. Okay, this is the same crowd, right? Talking to Jesus. Why don't you give us a clue about who you are? Oh, give me a break. (laughs) Give us a clue. Just a hint (laughs) about what's going on. (laughs) When we see what's up, we'll commit ourselves (laughs) Show us what you can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. It says so in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's hilarious. Jesus responded, The real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my Father is right now offering you bread from heaven. The real bread. The bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more. Same chapter. Well, if the crowd still had one or two questions, and they clearly did, what about the team? Surely they've got the plot. You know, they've been around Jesus. You know, this is quite early on, but, you know, they're seeing amazing things happening. They've not actually been in the crowd, you know, with cheap seats at the back, you know, and sort of field glasses. They've actually been the ones who have been dishing it out. They're the ones who took the baskets and gathered up everything that was left over. Surely they've got it. Surely they can believe that Jesus is a little bit more than just an ordinary teacher. Well, apparently not. 
it wasn't long before Jesus is having to yet again reinforce the values of this upside-down kingdom where the first are last and the greatest have to be the weakest. And if you want to save your life, you've got to lose your life. This strange logic that Jesus seemed to talk about and live out and challenge people about. But the disciples, they're they're just playing catch-up the whole time. Why? Because they've got their stuff, they've got their baggage, they've got their own history, their own disappointments, their own fears, their own insecurities. Sound familiar? They're just like us. Jesus didn't handpick the religious superstars, the academics, the people who really knew how to communicate publicly in front of people. Not at all. Jesus handpicked this group of wannabes because he knew he'd have a job on his hands to train them. Jesus is having to put the matter straight with the very people who not soon after are actually going to be leading the thing. These are the leaders. John 6, same chapter, verse 60. Many among his disciples heard this and said, this is a tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Staggering. Staggering level of incompetence. None of these guys is going to win the Disciple of the Month competition. Pushing it on to verse 66. After this, a lot of his disciples left. Okay, now, this is one of the good chapters. This is where it's going well. This is where the crowds are coming and miracles are happening and people are going, wow, he really understands us. He's one of us. He knows the history. He knows the book. He knows the stories. This is amazing. This is one of the good chapters. After this, a lot of his disciples left. Why? They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the twelve, that's the inner circle, their chance Do you want to leave too? And then Peter responded. Peter made a lot of mistakes, but he occasionally got it right as well. Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy Spirit one of God. So a few verses earlier, the crowd are saying, show us what you can do. Give us another one. And then we'll commit. Peter says, we've already committed. We've committed because we know who you are. You can leave this building today knowing that your eternal destiny is secure knowing the God of heaven is on your side, he is your father, and he has made an incredible thing possible for you to know forgiveness of your sin and your pain and your brokenness. And you can get reconnected with a God in heaven through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus. But it will be a step of faith for sure as it was 
in the days of Jesus, many people left everything to follow Jesus. Many didn't. Many didn't. In one particular story, which most of you will know well, a rich guy, the Bible calls him a rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he has this kind of conversation. And he says, what do I need to do? I've followed the rules. I've lived in the system. I'm a good Jewish boy. I know about the books, but something missing. And what did Jesus do? He went right after his issue. And he said, sell all your stuff, give it away, and follow me. Was Jesus anti-money? Of course not. Of course not. The rich and the poor need to receive Jesus. But he went right after his issue. He met Jesus and failed to follow him. He met him face to face, a one-on-one encounter. If you could have, it's like the old O2 advert, wasn't it? If you could have a one-on-one, who would it be? Jesus? That's pretty cool. Better than Nelson Mandela even. He had the conversation with Jesus there and then and failed to make the connection. There will always be a step of faith. Why? Because God is spirit. And he is calling out to that part of us that is spiritual. But of course, we live in a physical time-space world. And we are brought up with this kind of existential worldview that if you cannot touch it, it isn't real. That is part of the poverty of our culture that you will not fell over, that you won't find in other cultures of the world. Other places, other cultures know there is a spiritual dimension because they see it and feel it and experience it all the time. So there will always be a step of faith. Alpha will help you take that step. And it will help your friends, for those of you who are part of the church, to take that step, I promise you. It will help. But it won't, in itself, shut the deal because that's not what it's about. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It is a step of faith. Choosing to become a follower of Jesus is not about, revela- not about information. It is about revelation. It is something that you cannot be taught. It's something that is caught. It's different. It's not something you can study to understand alone. That's why people go to university and they come out with doctorates in theology further away from God than the day they walked into the place. Why? Because it's not enough just to know the book. You have to know the author of the book. And that's why Jesus got up close and personal. That's why he dealt with a relational currency. Because the information was not enough. Because they'd already got the religious information. That's why that guy went up to Jesus and said, I've done it all my life. I know the book. But there was something missing. Maybe Jesus is revealing himself to you right now. Maybe you're sitting there in your chair saying, okay, I get it. Well, great. But that's not because I'm talking. It's because God by his spirit is always at work 
when people are open to receive him. So I'm going to pray. You can, be, you can get right with God today. You don't need to wait for an Alpha course. An Alpha course is just an Alpha course. It's a tool in the toolkit. That's all. It's a mechanism that helps us to help other people to understand a little bit more about what it's about. But you don't need an Alpha course. I really want you to come on the Alpha course, but I don't want you to think that you've got to wait for an Alpha course. You can know right now. You can be certain right now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. You might be thinking, well, Steve, sounds right. It sounds right because it is right. How does it work? Well, it is so simple. It's so simple, for some people, it's almost patronizing. We simply have to say to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've lived my life like you don't exist, when I actually know probably you did all along. But I've lived my life like that wasn't the truth, and now I know it is the truth. So it's a statement of saying sorry to God. But it's also a prayer of putting your trust in what God put in place in order for the forgiveness to be possible, which was all about Jesus. It is always about Jesus, always. It's not about church, faith, the Bible, all that stuff. It's about Jesus, always. His life, his death, and his resurrection. And we align ourselves with that. And we put our personal faith and confidence in the finished work of Christ at the cross. That is how we get right with God. And when we do that, something happens. A connection goes live. And it has been happening for 2,000 years. All over the world, cross-cultural, cross-generational, it has happened constantly in an unbroken thread going right back to the days of Jesus. People putting their confidence and faith in God's answer to man's problem. Jesus is the answer to the question. So I'm going to pray. And if you are, you know that you're definitely not a Christian, or you're not sure if you are or not, this is for you. Also, it might be for you if you know that you once were. But now you feel far, far away from God. This is a moment where you can get reconnected, come back home, back into the house of the Father, and be transformed from the inside out. Your life will never be the same again. So it's for you as well. And at the end of that, I'm going to do something. It might not be easy, okay? I'm going to ask you to stick your hand up. Not with everyone looking. It's not a big performance, but I'm going to ask you to put your hand up just so I can see you. Say, Steve, yeah, I, that's me. I'm in one of those categories. And I prayed that prayer today. And then I want to just, I'm going to go and stand over there by the alpha thing. Other people will be there. Come and find me, please. Come and find me and say, yeah, I don't know all the answers. Well, don't come to me if you want all the answers. I haven't got them either. I know some of them. But I would love to meet with you and others of my friends here in the team would as well. Here's the prayer. Let's all close our eyes for a moment if we can just as we come to the end this morning. So if you know that you're not a Christian and you want to take that step, if you are not sure, but you want to be sure, or you once were, but you've wandered off, this is for you. I come to you, my Father God, believing that you love me, 
and that you have searched for me. I feel caught in your searchlight this morning. I put my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me of all my wrongdoing. Cleanse me because of the death of your son, Jesus. Cause a work of transformation to happen in my life right now as I get right with you. Fill me with your Spirit's power. Change me, clean me, and make me new. So this is the moment. If you prayed that prayer with me today, stick your hand up where you are. Do it right now. Just stick it up in the air. Father, I want to thank you for your presence here in this place today. King of heaven, walk among us. Lord, I pray for all that is going on in the hearts and minds of people here that you love and you sent your son to die for. Help us, Lord, to make the right connections with the right people today that everybody will be included in on your great plan, this life of transformation more into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.